The Senate Armed Services Committee is out with the 2020 Defense Authorization Bill, its version, and it holds a host of reforms and new goodies for the Defense Department. The bill covers everything from the Space Force to the privatized on-base housing crisis. Federal News Network Scott Mossioni and Jared Serbu join me for a peek into the bill. Scott, let's start with you. This briefing that occurred yesterday on this whole authorization bill, tell us the highlights. How much money, how much money are they authorizing and how does it divide up? Right. Well, this is pretty in line with the White House's request for the Defense Department. It's $750 billion, and that puts uh, $642.5 billion in the discretionary base budget. So that means that they've moved a lot of the OCO, which is an emergency war uh, fund, back into the base budget, and it's going to set up an, an issue for Congress in the future when they're going to have to deal with sequestration and the, the possible return of sequestration and having to come up with a budget deal for 2020 and 2021. The White House had formally let me know when all we're at the money or so. that reached those, those sequestration top lines and put it into OCO, that emergency war fund, uh, in order to sort of circumvent the whole issue of uh, hitting sequestration. Congress clearly did not like that uh, that tactic and has pushed everything back to base, uh, which is setting up something uh, for this, this fall that may have them uh, working on that budget deal. Yeah, it sounds like they're dogs that know where the electric fence is buried and they just don't go that close to it and try to right. find a workaround. Exactly. And and uh, so they're going to have to at this point just have to work with the with the appropriators and with the authorizers to figure out how they're going to make this budget deal. And clearly that's going to bring up other issues like how much money will go into the domestic side and raising those caps as well. Sure. And how far apart then does it look like Congress is from the White House on this authorization proposal? So they're exactly in line with the authorization. Uh, the authorization is exactly in line with the White House at this point. Now, it's different than the House Appropriations Committee. They budgeted only about $733 billion. And you have to remember, some of that goes to the Department of Energy. Some of it goes to a few other places within the the whole uh, of the defense budget, right? It's not all within the defense department, but a large majority of it is. So it looks like the clash is going to be more between the two houses than it is between the White House and Congress. What about the Space Force? We spoke about that yesterday and the idea of the Space National Guard, but what about the Space Force itself? Is that addressed in the authorization bill? It is. So it looks like we're going to have a Space Force if this bill passes. And the Space Force, they're hoping, is not going to uh, create a lot of bureaucracy. They say they're going to minimize the bureaucracy by taking all of the Air Force uh, space capabilities at this point and putting it into a space force. Now, if that actually works or not, we'll have to find out. But, um, you know, and they haven't really released the legislation to, to explain how they're going to minimize this bureaucracy. So that's something that's going to have to be meted out in the future. They're also denying the request for an undersecretary for space. And the space uh, commander of the, the space force will also serve as a joint head of the space command. So uh, that will most likely be General Raymond in the Air Force. Okay. What are some of the other highlights in the bill? Right. Well, it covers a lot. Uh, There's some acquisition reforms, and those have to do with intellectual property, especially with software. That's a pretty big issue for the Defense Department right now. Another has to do with the defense industrial base. There's a lot of issues with some of the hardware that is going into uh, electronics that is coming from China. That's creating some more transparency to look into how the Defense Department is buying these uh, 
these electronics and to see if they're actually being spied on and maybe some money to pull out some possible issues as well. Uh, another thing that's that's within this bill is some help for military spouses. As you know, military spouse unemployment is up into the 30 percentiles. Uh, this gives some money to military spouses so that they can move between states and uh, get licensures for their occupations without having to pay extra money. And it also sets up some more opportunities for them to get jobs and to, to study that issue as well. So we have the situation then that the House Appropriations Committee has moved ahead on its vision for DOD. On the Senate side, the authorization group, the Armed Services Committee, has moved ahead of its group. So if you have four pieces to this puzzle, appropriations and authorization on both chambers, we're only halfway there. That's right. We're only halfway there. We're still waiting for the House Armed Services Committee and the Senate appropriators. So once these two, those two come in, they can finally hash everything out. But it looks like the top line on money is going to be a pretty big issue. And also the Space Force might be an issue. We've seen Representative Adam Smith, who heads the House Armed Services Committee, uh, has some serious questions about the Space Force. And also the House appropriators denied the $72 million that the White House requested to actually set up the headquarters for Space Force. And Jared Serbu, you've got some new information on reforms for privatized housing coming to Defense Department. Yeah, you bet. So this is this is obviously an issue that's gotten a lot of attention over the past year or two, mostly because of some excellent reporting by the Reuters news agency pointing out really serious deficiencies across the country in privatized military housing. As Scott said, we don't have the full full text of the bill yet, so we don't know exactly what made it in. But Tim Kaine, who's one of the leading advocates on this issue, says that about a dozen different provisions related to military housing did make it into the Senate version of the NDAA. And I'll just hit on a few of them. One, one gets to the issue of government oversight over the the housing contracts and and that that really has been a major issue the 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 defense department or actually more properly the military services turned this privatization project over in a in really a pretty laissez-faire way so that there was not very much oversight on a base level over how an individual provider was performing at a base level so the bill does provide we understand 301 million dollars in in funding to pay for new positions who will do do that oversight at a base level. Another major thing, I think, is it gives a, a military tenant the ability to withhold rent if the military housing provider is not meeting the terms of the lease. And that, that's always been a strange issue when it comes to privatized housing, because unlike in the private sector, you cannot really, as the law stands now, you can't withhold rent the way you would be able to under the terms of a normal lease, because you're not paying the landlord directly. Instead, your basic allowance for housing is just getting turned over to them. So this would create an equivalent kind of recourse for the service member where they, they would have the ability in conjunction with base leadership, I believe, to withhold rent in case those terms are not being met. And then another one I would point out is it, it creates the ability or really the requirement to do move out inspections. Anytime someone is moving out of a, a, a military housing unit and someone else is moving in um, to, to really create accountability for whose problems belong to whom was this was this the cause of, you know, is, is the source neglect by the landlord? Was it actual damage caused by the property owner so that you can you can track those sorts of things? Kane told us, um, Kane told reporters yesterday that it, that seems like a small issue, but it, it actually is really huge from his point of view. One of the things that I saw that just infuriated me in Norfolk was talking to families who had had to move all the way across the country, say from San Diego. 
They never had a chance to look at the unit. They could go online and look at, you know, what appeared to be a model unit. And these are 20 and 21-year-olds, you know, often with young children who are moving across the country and they get to this place and they walk in their unit. It hasn't been cleaned. One family I saw in a unit with two children, their unit had three toilets. Two of their toilets were broken the day they moved in. And it infuriated me. And so, Tom, I think one of the interesting things to watch, assuming a lot of these provisions eventually make it into law, is how they're actually implemented, because the housing providers have 50-year contracts with DOD and the military services in most cases. So that's going to require going back and reopening those and renegotiating those. It's not like Congress can just set terms that apply to to near-term renegotiations. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Scott Mossioni, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out their stories at federalnewsnetwork.com.